0: Helpful because I actually became um, a health and safety manager for a fairly large part of their operation. I was reporting directly to vice president, doing all of this under the age of 30, where we were making these huge strides. And um, it was amazing, but I actually, that was where I experienced my worst bout of burnout in my career. So, um, came out of that with what i learned in strategy, what i learned from mindfulness and being a yoga instructor, and the rest is kind of history from there. It led me right to where I am today.
1: Our mission, and we choose to accept it, is zero injuries and zero environmental impact. A healthy workforce and environment is key to our nation's continued success. The Mission Zero podcast is a deep dive with the industry's top experts into the health, safety and environmental aspects of today's workplace. Our mission is to be a platform for new ideas and strategies that when implemented will improve our safety, our environment and how we govern our business. We are making the world safer and we're going to have fun doing it.
2: Hey, welcome back, everyone, to the uh, season two, episode three of the Mission Zero podcast. Uh, today, I'm back home where I'm from in Georgia, in Atlanta, Georgia, and I have a wonderful guest with me today, Subina Colligan. Welcome, Subina.
0: Thank you for having me. Uh,
2: Subina is a uh, safety professional, a life and professional coach. I don't know if she likes that, but I like that uh, title for her. And she is a more importantly, a mindful strategist. Yes. Yes. All of those. <laughs> Thank you so much for being my guest. I, um, uh, I spotted you on LinkedIn a while back and, uh, I loved, you know, in, in doing these podcasts, I've seen people in the safety industry. I've seen people in this business and in this world and they, they're in it at the very least way in the very least way, the very smallest way. But there's some people out there who are pushing it and some people out there who are trying to improve it. Some people out there are doing other things and they're really trying to improve life and safety and actually, in your case, the life of the safety professional. So uh, we'll get to that. Uh, So in the meantime, if you don't mind, uh, you've got an incredible resume with a a wide, uh, varied path. So would you mind go ahead and give us a little bit about your history and how you got here today?
0: Absolutely. Um, so, I am like many health and safety professionals. I did not know that this pathway existed. Mm-hmm. Um, the Air Force chose it for me. <laughs> and I credit that to the science classes that I took in high school. But um, so, I joined the military, and they said, hey, you're going to be a bioenvironmental engineer, which in the Air Force was much cheaper way to have industrial hygienists so they didn't pay for that um so I went in and I actually said you know what I'm gonna I'm gonna be a doctor and I I just knew I wanted to help people and I didn't know that by being an industrial hygienist I was doing all of that and more Mm -hmm. I was finding operations where we were working with excuse me with substances that cause cancer in the long run, right? We see all about the the commercials or the claims that happen, but we don't know what's happening behind the scenes. So I was kind of a silent hero in the background, really loved it, decided to continue pursuing school in that way. Um, and because I did everything industrial hygiene, I went to school for safety. I wanted to make sure I was um, fast in that space and after six years, left the Air Force, and I went to work for um, an aircraft manufacturer. Again, working with lots of substances that cause cancer, right? <laughs> to keep something in the air and not rust as soon as yeah. it got up there, it, it was pretty hazardous. So what company was that? Gulfstream Aerospace. Okay. Down in Savannah, Georgia, actually. Okay. okay. Um, and it was in Savannah where I kind of hit this other piece of my life. Um, I started doing a lot more yoga. So I discovered yoga, um, became a certified or registered yoga instructor, and it was very helpful because I actually became um, a health and safety manager for a fairly large part of their operation. I was reporting directly to the vice president, doing all of this under the age of 30, where we were making these huge strides. And um it was amazing, but I actually that was where I experienced my worst bout of burnout in my career. So um came out of that with what I learned in strategy, what I learned from mindfulness and being a yoga instructor, and the rest is kind of history from there to led me right to where I am today.
2: Where do you um how do you think you, but you know, the burnout? How, how did that happen? What was going on to led to that?
0: Ooh, so there's a couple of things. Um, I think in our career field, we have this idea that, and a lot of professionals do, but in health and safety, we're always proving ourselves. So it's work really hard, and you're always on call. You don't really take rest. And my first duty assignment. For four months, we worked 12-hour shifts, five days a week, to prepare for an audit. And that was my introduction to this is what you do. That did not shift. It didn't shift in my deployment. It didn't shift when I went to private industry. It was...
2: So this was consistent with a safety professional anywhere, any industry, any place?
0: Yes. I just okay. talked to someone that um, she's about five years away from retirement, and she said, I'm glad that we're doing all this burnout stuff now, but I've been burnt out for over a decade. So I have, there's no hope. I'm just waiting for retirement. And it was sort of like this rite of passage.
2: Yeah. It's it's interesting you say that, but, you know, as I mentioned before, in my typical work, um, my customers are generally the oil and gas industry. And they were an industry that couldn't shut down completely. They shut down a lot, but they couldn't shut down completely. And the safety professionals were doing the job of three people.
0: Yes.
2: And getting in front of them was impossible. They, they were, when you say burnout, just the look on their face, when I, when I mentioned that to them or when I talked to them, I could see that they're... But even before that, even in normal times, you're right, they were, they're on call 24 hours a day. You You, you know, people... You're either the number one fan or the worst enemy of everyone uh, depending on what they you know what's going on mm-hmm. during those audits. Mm-hmm. it's a terrible time and when you're you know but if you need if they need something if you've had an injury, you're everything and they need you and they need you desperately so it's it's a thankless job in for in a large part of it until they actually need you but if they actually need you, they're in trouble anyway
0: yes and it, it's difficult because you're either everybody's best friend or mm-hmm. you're public enemy number yeah, one exactly. Where do you how do you reserve the energy to walk into a space and either be loved or hated, Mm -hmm. preparing mentally to be rejected and then called upon desperately (laughs) and loved when sometimes not saying this for everybody. However, there are times where you just want to say, I told you so. Yeah, I tried to do this. I tried to work proactively and now I have to turn my wheels. Because you didn't listen in the first place. That's really It's so
2: tough. much worse than oil and gas. Let me explain why. Imagine the oil and gas worker. They are the very definition of, I, this is how we do it. This is the way it's always done type of people. And granted, they're the toughest, hardest working people on earth. But they don't want to hear things about safety. They have the worse looking hands and injuries all over their body, but they don't want to focus on that. They just want to work really hard. So early in your career, you said uh, you were dealing, it sounds like you were dealing a lot with agents, uh, biological things, things that cause cancer. Is, uh, I mean, can you tell us a little bit more about that and uh, how you went about uh, increasing safety when it comes to that type of uh, uh, you know, issue?
0: Yeah, so um, first of all, going into the military, there's tons of people that are seventeen, eighteen, twenty years old, like mm-hmm. the most invincible people on the planet. Right? They're all tough. Yes, and then you put them in the uniform and feeling right, tougher. It's very difficult. Right. The old guy in the military is in their thirties. So mm-hmm. yeah. right a lot of them are retiring by thirty-eight, no later yeah. than forty. So we're working with this demographic that is a little bit harder to influence in the first place. Um, but if you imagine what it takes to create a stealth aircraft, right? And I worked, not, I worked only with fighter jets my entire career. So it was working with carcinogens. We had um, other issues. I don't know if you ever heard of um, the F-22 hypoxia events that happened. I
2: didn't.
0: Yeah, so... Um, F-22 pilots were actually experiencing a displacement of oxygen, which was causing them to pass out while they were flying.
2: <laughs> so, Worst climbing ever.
0: Yes. Um, so I actually had the on-call phone one night because we had a rotation. Everybody got the on-call phone in case something happened in the middle of the night. Back to the fact that we just don't take a lot of time off. And I got the phone call and they were like, we have an F-22 pilot in the air. He's smelling something sweet. He's getting ready to come back down. And that sweet smell was actually an indication of what was going on. So for my base, I got the first F-22 hypoxia call. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I don't know what to do. Um, But it didn't matter that I was one of the youngest in the shop. I had.
2: You're Lockheed. the one there. Yeah,
0: I was there. Right. I had Lockheed Martin looking at me, I have this pilot that is really probably at this point thinking about his life, his family, everything that you know he's done and trained for in his life to make sure he landed perfectly fine. Um, and the base commander saying, hey, what's going on? Because he gets the phone call as well. And I did end up having backup. Um, the backup was someone that was a higher rank than me hmm. however she didn't know what to do either <laughs> so you know we got to do these really important things right for people that may not have even known that we existed yeah and we i mean we were taking air samples out of people's lungs into vacuum containers <laughs> so they would have to blow and then keep blowing so that we could get as much of anything out of their lungs to send to a lab mm. just to figure out what was going on.
2: I want to figure they had something in the actual, on, on the plane that judged their oxygen levels and how well they were processing oxygen through their mask. Is yes. that not true? So
0: they have the O box mm-hmm. and what ended up happening that they found out was that um, it was actually their suits. So when you're up in the air and you have the G forces, your blood circulates differently. And by the way, I didn't understand G-forces in physics until I got to fly in a plane. And I was right. like, oh, this is how it feels. Um, but it actually inflates to to um, monitor the blood flow. So it keeps it, it regulates it. Yeah. Um, but they were over-inflating. But we didn't know that. Yeah. Right? It took a very holistic approach to understand what was happening that had not been happening before. Um, so we did all of it. Right? We worked with some of the most hazardous, cancerous um, contaminants out there.
2: Were you able to discover what did they share with you? Everything in there? What, what was in? I mean, and I'll tell you why I asked that question. In a past life, I manufactured uh, industrial lubricants and cutting oils and things like that. And I, called, I was a customer was lucky in Fort Worth, Texas. And I went in there to, I was testing a new, my cutting oil in, in this area. And of course I had to get a background check to walk into that area. And when I got there, they are like, yeah, this is, this is the machine, this is the box, this is the piece of metal that we're gonna be cutting. And I was like, okay, well, can you tell can you give me a rundown of the percentages of what it is? What type? No. Um, <laughs> how do you expect me to know what cutting oil to use or how to, what to use on this if I don't know what's in there? They don't know, but you can't see this. You have to have an absolute top-of-the-line clearance to know what's in it, because it was the drones. Yes. I mean, it's not a secret that they make them there, but it was drones is what they produce. Yeah. And so they couldn't find out. And so I had to go a um, little bit of uh, hit and run on that one and try to figure out which is the best thing for that particular application. but eventually did, but it made it difficult, and I was just wondering if it maybe that might have happened to you as well.
0: Yeah. The entire field struggles with it. Trade secrets are difficult. Yeah. yeah. Um, there are rules in place that can help us with gathering information if we need it to. Mm. However, it, a lot of times we are working with the big picture and saying, okay, can you just tell me what the constituents are, or getting a list of some of, especially for metals, we can get a list of carcinogens, right? The metals that we would be concerned about the most and say, can you check these? Is this a constituent? And then we can go sample for the work that they're doing. So we wouldn't have to know all of it. um, But if we don't know, we can't find out. (laughs) If We don't know we're supposed to be looking for something. We can't figure that piece out for the people we're trying to protect. So Um, some people up high that have those clearances, because you think about an entire fleet of aircraft, they can come back down. They get the information and say, hey, you guys need to go look for these specific constituents when working, if you have them at your base.
2: OK. OK. So, you know, you spent these years as a safety professional. You had your experiences, which are By by the way, I think anyone would think we're really cool. So that's awesome that you got to experience the things you got to experience. Fast forward now. uh, In most of my, I guess the interviews I've done so far for this for this podcast have been safety people talking about issues for industrial type workers or different type of safety issues. You know, one of the, I guess one of the things that that made me want to when I came home for the holidays was to find you here in Atlanta and interview you, you were actually looking out for the safety people themselves and you um, you focus on that now that's why I said you know life coach professional coach and and, and I probably added that and that's not the title you ne- necessarily apply to yourself but I kind of I kind of added that one to you uh, myself but uh, you know you were looking at um, the worker and you like you mentioned before safety people work themselves into the ground. They are incredibly hardworking people. Their hours are almost impossible and they're never off. They're always just one phone call away from having a really crappy night. So, uh, now can you tell me about, you know, we know how you, where that came from. You gave us a little bit about that. Can you tell me the process of how you were, you, you know, you, you started working with this and you started coming up with ways to To help these people, can you tell me where you started and and, and finish off with what you're actually doing currently?
0: Absolutely. So what I didn't share about this story of burnout is where it landed me, where Mm -hmm. I ended up on a couch binge watching a Netflix series for two days with tears in my eyes, so much so that I sent my dog to daycare.
2: (laughs) The very definition of burnout right (laughs) there. The very
0: definition, right? So burnout is really it's this low energy low motivation space and it's hard to see outside of it and i inherited probably not probably statistically the worst performing site in safety that we had and and this is with who with gulfstream okay so i left the corporate office and it was a site that I had been supporting and they were like, you should go be the health and safety manager, which was great. I mean, you just don't turn down Southern California. You don't turn down a request directly from a vice president right. to say, come work for me. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was it was a great experience. However, when I was at that bottom point, I had to realize that no one was going to save me. I had a team that was burnt out. I had people that were looking at me to protect them and create these programs and give them confidence in their safety program, a confidence that they had not had before I arrived. And it was so, it was a lot of pressure. Mind you, I'm still under 30 at this point, right? Like I'm not like, you know, 20, 30 years into the career field. And it really took, it. it made me look at things differently. And I really had to start out with the truth. No one was going to save me. And I had all the tools in order to be successful. And I was working with years of history that had gotten the site to this point. It wasn't because of my failure and my non-negotiable, which was that I would not compromise my integrity my integrity as a professional, I'm a certified industrial hygienist, a certified safety professional. I work by a code of ethics. I work really hard <laughs> to be in those spaces. So um, I took a look back and said, OK, well, what tools do I have and what's lacking? And it was like we all know safety professionals out there. I was overworked and under resourced. Mm-hmm. We knew up to the corporate levels I knew that before I went out there but we had not made the right cases to force the hands that could get us the right resources and so really working on the mindfulness piece where mindfulness like it's not just sitting in a corner (laughs) and meditating right It is this personal awareness. It gives you greater access to relationship awareness. So I understood better the pieces that were influencing the performance of the overall program. It can't be on one person's shoulder. It couldn't be on the shoulder of my team of three. And using that to say, okay, well, what are what are our problems? And we had no strategy. We were just going. It was like what California regulation is changing today?
2: Oh, yeah. <laughs> in, in, the, in the oil and gas industry, it's about the water.
0: Mm.
2: And there, it's every month. The EPA changes almost yes. every yes. month. Yeah.
0: It just changes. I, I, right? I empathize
2: so, with that. Yeah,
0: We're always chasing a moving target, mm-hmm. right? So it was that long-term, not necessarily figuring out how do we chase the target, but how do we chase the behaviors that give us the performance that we need? Mm-hmm. We need frontline supervisors to respect and implement the requirements that are there. We needed top line leaders to look at these leading indicators, the training, the performance, actually utilizing disciplinary action (laughs) instead of just like, oh, you know, that's just the way we've always done it, but saying, okay, we're going to educate you. And make sure you understand why we're not going to do it that way going forward. And if you can't get with the program, here's a consequence. It only takes a couple of times for that to happen. And those are hard conversations to have. It's even harder when, as the safety professional, I said, look, I didn't hire the person. They don't ask me for a vacation. You go handle it. And those are some tough conversations. Yeah. Um, and we're really taking a look at all of our underlying problems Identifying how we were going to approach them, which was through education, through support, through proactive auditing, how we wanted people to interact with us and being able to find out information where we weren't a silo anymore. They could just go to our site. And look at, we had our own site. <laughs> yeah. We could share information, highlighting people and their achievements, asking people to share their own safety tips in a video. Mm-hmm. So when people came to our site, they saw their colleague talking about their areas of concern, where not to step in front of a plane or not. Yeah. Um,
2: My co-host, um, and you know, he's with me a lot, is Justin Overstreet. He's the uh, vice president agency for a company called Wildcat Old Tools, mm-hmm. a very prominent company out there. He is hella bent on his philosophy is you're the first safety professional. He like you are here for a reason. You were hired for a reason. You're a safety professional. I'm, I'm here to give you an all, all around mm-hmm. strategy and how to handle things and, a, a, you know, a standard operation procedure. But you're he, he was about empowering his people. Like yes. you are responsible for this. Mm-hmm. Not me. You are. So I just you know it just no other point than that it's just funny you saying that it's like yes that was his strategy as well and he's very good at his job obviously
0: (laughs) it's so true though we Mm -hmm. say it's your responsibility Mm -hmm. right so we're easy to turn and say it's your responsibility if it looked unsafe then why did you keep doing it well you have to empower people to be able to make those decisions. And sometimes when you don't have enough information, you may not challenge it. Yeah. And if your leader or the person you would challenge in that situation doesn't have the right information or is led by fear, mm-hmm. then they may not accept that challenge. Right. So it really was an overhaul of the entire system to help us understand.
2: Well, you see, you mentioned uh, earlier and it bring kind of popped something in my head about the burnout and, and saying, okay, well, you need to take some time off. Well, that's not as simple as that because, you know, depending on how the economic health of the country is at any given time, a worker with, my, you know, three children and you tell him, oh, you can take some time off, what's going on in his head? He's thinking, or he or she is about thinking, my job may be on the line. I can't take the time off. I can't let them think that, you know, that mm-hmm. for whatever reason... It's not just that. You have to You have to get them to accept that and be okay with it and somehow instill the confidence in and believe that, hey, we care about you. This yes. isn't about, you, you know, you thinking that we're going to cut you loose. This isn't the first step of a firing. It is not. This is just we caring about you as a person, knowing that you're human. You're not a robot. Uh-huh. You can't do everything at all times and that you need human things. And uh, a lot of the things you just said, you know, has come up in my personal history over the last few years and that's mindfulness I do a mindfulness journal every morning oh amazing A guided mindfulness ju- you know but still it, yeah I listen look at me I'm a Tim Ferriss disciple <laughs> I thought you know I, I, I did all the things that he said that you know he, he kind of mentioned that um, he, you know his his whole point was he he uh digs into hyper successful people to find out their has habits and strategies that got them there and he said after about a hundred interviews, roughly eighty five percent of them meditated. Even yes. guys like Arnold Schwarzenegger and people like that meditated, and I was like, okay, there's something to this, you know. And I added in my life, I added two things, you know, personally. And, I, and this isn't a me; this is a, a, things everybody needs to do. Mm-hmm. Uh One is do things you love.
0: <laughs> <laughs> like if you can see us right now, I just threw my hands yeah. up. <laughs> yeah. You should do more of what you love.
2: Absolutely. That's why, you know, we were talking about my writing and I was like, yeah, yeah, I want to be a writer. So I started doing it like people have been on me about this for years. So I started, you know, and and, and, so do things you love, because if you're not doing things you love, you're not living life. The, The other one is do things that are hard. So I started doing things that are hard and I was telling my niece about what you can accomplish if you do things hard. I've lost 16 pounds in 38 days. Wow. And I did it because it was hard. Like, I could have lost them over six months, but I wanted to do it hard because there is something about humanity or something about the psychology of the human where accomplishing something, Mm -hmm. feeling something accomplished is just one more thing in life that that fulfills your life. Like, I used to do triathlons, and I remember how confidence in stealing a triathlon was because it's so hard. You know everybody thinks it's just a race, but they don't see the hours and hours and hours of work you put in for this. Mm -hmm. It's an incredibly difficult thing. And it takes just so much discipline to do it because you can't go out and drink. You can't get no sleep. You have to sleep well. You have to your nutrition has to be perfect. And so, you know, those are two things that I added into the mindfulness. But but like you said, the mindfulness to me You know, we mentioned earlier, we don't have any clue as a society how lucky we are today and how how much how life is amazing here. And some people lose track of that Mm -hmm. for whatever reason. I think it's information overload a lot. It's a media, Mm -hmm. you know, a scourge of um, provocateur media, which Mm -hmm. is what I think is the biggest key. And then the second biggest key is, you know, Internet, um, people on the Internet too much. Misery. Loves company. Miserable people are all over the Internet and they want to bring you with them. And people get trapped in that rabbit hole.
0: They do. And there's this. There have been so many messages that you're not living life unless you are spending every waking moment creating someone else's dream. Mm. And it's the work hard, play hard, which is true. But there's also work hard, rest hard. Yeah. You learn that with triathlons, yeah. right? You, you work really hard, but you have to have rest. And the vitality of life is re- really why I made the transition that I did. Because I had this rock bottom moment. And some people will say you bootstrapped. No, I was equipped with tools to not only provide a better quality of life for myself, and more importantly, what I was really responsible for was providing that better quality of life for my team that reported to me and let them know where we're going. have one guy he was a couple of years from retirement. he's still a couple of years from retirement he says he's gonna retire. I just asked about him um uh, two weeks ago and they were like, no, he's still working <laughs> so, but he's still you know Some edging. People are workers just yes. workers um still edging on retirement, but There is a a vitality of life that with a mindfulness practice, you can experience. And there's something to be grateful for in that. Being a business owner, and you know this, there are days where it's scary.
2: Every day scary. I
0: know. It's like, what am I doing? Why did I choose
2: this? Three years ago, I was, oh my, we were a year and a half into it. We were a year, a little over a year into it when COVID started. Oh gosh. Oh.
0: It's scary. Yeah. But with a mindfulness practice, you you incorporate gratitude. Mm -hmm. So when I'm afraid or I am, you know, feeling a feeling. Even if it's undesirable, it's not something I want. I still have this ability to practice gratitude, to be thankful that I get to feel and I get to experience that in my Mm -hmm. life because it means I'm living. I'm not just this robot. I'm not just checking the box I get to be a part of my life Mm -hmm. and not ruled by everything else around me. A quote by Steve Harvey I
2: recently read, don't get up and say, I got to go to work. Get up and say, I get to go to work. You know how awesome that is to know you have a job? People People don't get that. And, you know, in my part of my mindfulness journal, it's identify it's not identifying hey think i'm thankful for my parents hey i'm thankful mm-hmm. for it's all you know, i'm thankful for i have a comfortable mattress that helps me sleep at night and i'm thankful like i think i give thanks to spotify for introducing me to music i would have never been able to find you know things yes. like, there's so many things that we can see as blessings mm-hmm. and it's a lifestyle it is it's, a, it's an absolute lifestyle and the people you walking around you see walking around be sponsored face they're very mindful and gratitude filled people And uh, my I guess I'd say the key indicator to the journey or I guess what would be the the thing that started the mindfulness journey to me was, you know, dealing with bouts of depression, Mm -hmm. you know, for me and not severe depression. I'm not going to compare mine to some other people that really, really, really struggle with that. But, you know, it was it was a down moment, like you said you had. And I I was I forget where I saw this poster and I, I generally don't read inspirational posters, but this one's that. If you're feeling really, really terrible and you're down and depressed, go find someone else to help. Yes. Stop looking inward. Look outward. There is nothing that will bring you more joy on this earth than helping someone else. Yes. <laughs> Try it. Yes. Like, just, just, go find someone, help them. You know, yeah. For example, my brother and uh, his family. You know, we told me this story. Uh, they saw they were going to church a couple of days ago, and uh, there was a guy on the side of the road broken down. Uh, they didn't really know that, you know, if he's broken down or what his problem was, but when he came back from church, he was still there. He was an older gentleman. He didn't have a really, you know, reliable vehicle. And my brother stopped and said, Hey, or, you know, is everything all right? Are you okay? He goes, Well, I'm broken down, and I don't, you know, This is a rural area, right? And so I don't have anywhere to go. I don't have a cell phone. So we called his son for him. The man cried oh. and hugged my brother and told him he loved him for what he did. Like, mm-hmm. that wasn't a hard thing to do, but that was a special thing to do. And so, you know, I you don't always have those opportunities like that, but you can call people. Mm-hmm. You don't ever know people's personal struggles. That's why, you know, I stopped doing that. I heard a um, comedian, I can't remember her name, but she said that... Um, Whenever someone's angry or mean or rude, imagine that their life could be a complete hell.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So, you know, and, and look, that's part of the safety world, too, is, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of people that get hurt are because their mind's in a bad place. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, I, I love all that, that you're doing, but I want to put some now that I've, you know. Unloaded loaded all that on you. I had, you <laughs> conjured up all this. Mic, when you started I talking about it. that, I, I, it fired me up because I try to...
0: It's exciting. I'm mm. receiving all of that energy yeah. and the transformation that it has brought to your life.
2: Yeah. And it's I want to share it with people. I, I, yeah. I want you to see this, yes. you know, because I was miserable mm-hmm. for a large part of my adult life. I mm-hmm. mean, it was... So, you know, uh, you are now helping safety professionals. Can you dig a little bit deeper on... Uh, your uh, is, it, is a company or your company? Yeah, exactly what you do in there. And just tell us a little tell the audience a little bit about that.
0: Absolutely. So I started as colleague and coaching mm. and consulting. And everything I do is of service to others. Mm. Um, I focus on health and safety professionals, but I actually work with people that aren't health and safety as well, mm. because everyone hits these points or has the opportunity to hit these points. And I provide tools that's really what I do whether it's from um, business strategy the art of strategy because you never get it right um, or the practice of mindfulness so we really look at how what what really is happening that is blocking you from having vitality in your life that experience of life And for some people that I work with, it's all personal, right? They want to work on their personal brand or um, how they react to people when they are triggered because, you know, someone says, I don't need you or they're upset with the life of a safety professional. Mm -hmm. And we work on how we keep their quality of life right where they want it to be or the tools that get them back to the quality of life that they want to have more quickly. And that's what mindfulness does, right? When for anyone that has meditated, a lot of the practices are really not getting your mind to be completely calm. It's about being able to observe what's happening in your mind and not attaching to it and letting it whisk you away, acknowledging it and letting it go on about its way We have, I read a study, it was like 6,000 thoughts a day. You cannot control all of them. You are going to go down that rabbit hole. How quickly do you get to have awareness to come back to the present moment? Mm. But when we talk about protecting people, it's those same distractions, right? If someone's having a bad day, it didn't just leave because they scanned their badge at the door.
2: Oh,
0: yeah. Right? They (laughs) take it home. They take it home with them. They they got it at home and brought it to work with them. And we are constantly protecting against those distractions. But safety professionals, they don't just clock in and say, OK, well, everything else is done. They get even more at work. Yeah. <laughs> so Great. Right, they're Absolutely. distracted. And how do you protect how do you create more mindfulness so that you can be more present For yourself and then others to give them those experiences, or have the awareness around where other people are in their journey at that time. Because I got to, I got to shift how I talk to people. I could go in and say, "Hey, you have this that needs to be corrected," but I could tell they were having a bad day. So, me. Abort mission yeah. <laughs> and go in and say, Let's table "Hey, table for tomorrow." Yeah, let. How do I go and boost them? Great job on that presentation last week. Can you tell me more about X? Thanks.
2: But you have to be in the moment to recognize that you
0: have to be in the moment, mm-hmm. and that's what the mindfulness piece gives to be able to be present. But then taking it home, where even if you had a bad day at work, even if it was a long time, you're able to be more present in your life, whether it's a solo life or with a family.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, where can we find, um, you know, is there, you have a website or anything? People can find information.
0: I do. So my website is com. Okay. Very easy. I'll <laughs> put that then... on
2: the play card when I publish it. So, so the audience will be able to see that. Okay. Well, thank you so much. Uh, this is not the actual end of the podcast. Uh, this is a very special podcast. And, uh, you know, as I said, I'm from Georgia and I'm in Georgia for the holidays. And, um, uh, I'm in Georgia for the holidays and uh, able to spend time with my family and, uh, you know, so lucky to be able to meet you and interview you. And I thought, wow, wow. OK, I'm in with this wonderful professional lady and I'm going to have a bring your niece to work day today. Yes. So So uh, my niece, Ada, she is with me. Say hello, Ada. Hello. So uh, she's here with me today and uh, I want her to meet you because uh, it's important to see uh, for young women to see uh, women who have. In the professional world, and I've done very well, and I think it's a good, um, you know, it's always good to see people like that and to see, okay, this is what I can do. It's there. <laughs> it's there, right? So uh, I wanted uh, Ada to, um, <clears throat> you know, think about some of the things that she would like to know from someone who's who's been through the, a career and experience, in the middle of a career and experienced some things. So, Ada, why don't you go right ahead
0: and ask some, <laughs> some questions? I am so excited. <laughs> <laughs> what are some of the practices that you did throughout your career that you contribute most to your success? Um, so I have a saying that is really near and dear to me, and it's one of my North Stars or guiding practices, and that is you will go farther at the hands of people than on their backs. Mm -hmm. And it really positions how I treat people and the people that I allow to be around me and how they treat people. So I don't closely associate myself to others that are backstabbers or will walk on someone's back. Um, and I think most of most of my success, one, I had to have some discipline mm-hmm. in order to commit. However, um, people have really helped me get to every place that I've been and having that strong support network. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just about how you treat people and it always feels good when you treat people good. Always, always. Yeah.
2: How do you contribute your experience in the Air Force to your success?
0: Ooh. So I think I got the coolest experiences <laughs> in the Air Force, um, but it puts you in this place at a very early age, right? Like early twenties, even like nineteen, twenty. Being responsible for a plane that's on the side of a runway and people saying okay what do you do next like what <laughs> Like I, i'm just barely a
2: multi-million
0: dollar plane <laughs> right but then you've got like the base commander saying i got other planes in the air that need to land so we have got to get this runway back open what do we do next um so it helped me perform very well under pressure It also helped me scale how I lead because I think sometimes I look at situations and I'm like, it's not that big a deal, but it's the end of the world for someone else. In relation, I've seen some really big deals, but I understand how to approach more calmly, how to plan for stuff and then also just understanding Um, How important relationships are as well, because when you get in the heat of the moment, you need that relationship to be really strong and that communication to be strong. And I learned that from being on a runway in 100 degree weather on a tarmac in New Mexico with planes on the side of the the runway.
2: How is it like being a woman in the Air Force?
0: Man, (laughs) Hmm. So I'm actually third generation military. My mom was, cool. was in the army and um, she did not have a very great experience in the 70s. Um, and she was actually anti me going to the military. Yeah. And she was like, absolutely not over my dead body. <laughs> yeah. And um, I still went. My mom didn't die. And so, <laughs> but it definitely there were situations where even right, I joined the military in the 2000s where people would say, you know, well you should be a a paper pusher, right? Like you can't do those things. And you know, we talked a little bit earlier about those challenges and it we have a place everywhere. No matter if it's in the military, there's not a lot of women in the safety profession in general, like 20 plus percent, but it, is that right? Yeah. I think it was the best number that they had. Um, I think Pam Woloski was the person that put it out. She said it's about 25%. It was the best that they had. Um, but it also gives an advantage in being, you know, just emotionally connected and being able to, yeah. um, provide a different perspective to people. So, the Air Force was great, though. I It was six years. I stayed the six and was out. However, um, I attribute my leadership and just that advancement. It was like hyper <laughs> leadership yeah. training very early in my career.
2: You know, what you said about calmly solving problems, that is an, an absolute thing the military gave me as well. Like, People have always asked me, How do you stay so calm in these situations? I'm like, Oh, it's even worse. Yes. You know, so, uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> this is easy. I've been in the hell. But, uh, you know, uh, Sabina, thank you so very, very much. Uh, this viewer, uh, the guest, I thought you'd be in more. Oh, thank you. And I'm so glad <laughs> we got to talk about some of the things that uh, you talked about. Uh, you know, like I you know, this podcast is really about safety and safety professionals and. Being able to find someone out there actually trying to help them, you know, we're not trying. We're not just talking about the workers. We're talking about these people. And when you, when you, when I read about your burnout articles and the things you had written about, and it's those conversations i have had. These are I've, yeah. I've experienced this in both my interviewing and my actual work because I did. I, I call on safety professionals, so i have seen this burnout in the in the oil and gas industry. And I wish you the greatest luck. I think it's wonderful that uh you know you saw a need and you're pursuing it and and i wish you the best of luck and thank you so much for being on the podcast
0: thank you jeff
1: thank you for listening we hope you enjoyed the show and accept the mission please subscribe to the mission zero podcast on your preferred streaming service and be sure to give us a five-star review